This is KMTT, Kimitzion, Tetzei Torah. And today the Shur in Parshat HaShavua. The Shur in Parshat HaShavua for Sefer Bamidbar, the entire Sefer Bamidbar, will be given by Harav Alex Israel, who will be replacing Harav Hanoch Vaxman for this, uh, for this Sefer. Hello, this is Alex Israel uh, from Alon Shurt. Um, and we're going to talk this week about Parshat Bamidbar. Uh, we find ourselves at the uh, portal to a new Sefer. Very, very exciting. Uh, Bamidbar is an exceptional Sefer. Uh, ver- a very, very challenging and sweeping book. And what i like to do in today's uh, class is begin to start talking about this book and set the stage. And we will continue over the next few weeks to uh, develop our theme. Uh, Bamidbar is... Uh, is by its name, when people hear it, we ask ourselves, what is Bamidbar about? The first thing people will say is that uh, Bamidbar is about the desert. Uh, and one wonders whether that is really true. Let's try and examine the evidence and see, is it about the Midbar itself? Uh, if you look at the, if you go and examine the Sefer from a geographical perspective, uh, you will discover that uh, there are actually a number of different locations which uh, the events of Sefer Bamidbar take place. Uh, what I'm talking about is the fact that uh, the Sefer actually opens by Daber Hashem Moshe Bamidbar Sinai Bo'el Moed. In other words, we open the book in Midbar Sinai. Um, that is the place by the mountain uh, in which we start. Uh, how does it develop? Well, if you look uh, in chapter 10, Parak Yud, uh, you will see there um, that they, they actually leave. It takes ten chapters to leave the mountain. In chapter ten, they leave Har Sinai and uh, they go through an, a whole range of different uh, uh, episodes. And it's in chapter 21 at the end of Parashat Chukat, they arrive in uh, Arvot Moav, Al Yalden Yerecho. It says there at the end of uh, Perak uh, Chaf Aleph, or maybe the first Pasuk of Chaf Bet, on the border of Eretz Yisrael, opposite Jericho. And indeed, they remain there for the the the, the, the 15 chapters which remain of Sefer Bamidbar, as it says at the end of the book, the last line, What I'm trying to say is that uh, there actually, um, the majority of the book does not take place in transit. It does not take place as we wander um, through the Midbar. The first ten chapters, uh, the Jewish people are situated at Mount Sinai. Um, the last 15 chapters, from chapter 22 through to chapter 36, we are actually situated, again, uh, encamped, in a place called Arvot Moav. We are on the border of Israel, just waiting to go in. That leaves us with about 11 chapters in the middle, in which we're, we are uh, moving, traveling. Um, I don't know what the connotation of when we say that uh, Bamidbar takes place Bamidbar in the Midbar. However, um, it, it's interesting 
that uh, we aren't traveling, wandering, sojourning uh, throughout this whole Sefer. In fact, much of it is spent in a stationary position. And therefore, um, may, uh, the whole Torah, to a certain degree, is given Bamidbar. Moshe received the Torah Bamidbar. Uh, Sefer Devarim also happens at Arvot Moav, so that's also in the Midbar. Uh, Sefer Vayikra is also given in the Midbar. So to say that Bamidbar, in some way, is related to uh, the desert or the wilderness, uh, the desert of the Negev, or Sinai is not exactly a Sahara, but it's, um, maybe a Midbar is a better, better translation is uh, wilderness. The term Bamidbar doesn't seem to accurately describe the Sefer. So I think we're going to have to look for a different definition. Chazal um, used the name Sefer HaPakudim. In fact, the name, that, the English name that is used, the book of n- the Numbers, it actually comes from Chazal. Um, Sefer HaPakudim. Uh, the book of counting. Now, that might have a clue for us, but it is a little strange because we only count the people twice in this book. Once in the first two chapters of the book, or the first four maybe, if we include the, the account of the Levium, um, that's this week's Parsha, and also in Parsha Pinchas, two counts. And uh, that leads us to question, how is counting so central to the Sefer? Now, many people have written on this topic. Some of you may be familiar with Nitzvah's introduction. But I'm going to try and look at some of our uh, Rishonim to see what we can do with this notion of counting. Indeed, why do we start off with this elaborate count of the people? The people are enumerated in the uh, first two chapters, in phenomenal attention to detail, the camp is set up. What's it all for? Why do we need all of this? The Rashbam. The Rashbam um, explains very uh, beautifully that this is all functional. There is a pragmatic purpose to this counting. I'll, I'll read the words of the Rashbam. The purpose of going, of counting the people, is because now they need to go to Eretz Yisrael. And uh, the 20-year-olds actually need to go out to war. Because on the 20th of this month, the cloud is going to arise and they're going to have to travel as it says in chapter 10. So, What's he saying? The Rashbam is pointing out that they actually embark from Mount Sinai on the 20th of the second month. The 20th of Iyar. However, this count takes place on the 1st of Iyar. In other words, 20 days before they leave, they are uh, counted. He says, what's it for? Well, if we're going to Eretz Israel, we're going to need to capture the land. We need to know how many soldiers. Indeed, um, you see that the language of this chapter is peculiarly military. Uh, if you have a look at the, the language, it says, Mi ben from 20 years of age upwards, Kol Israel, whoever goes into the army, Tifkudu otam letzivotam atavi aron. Letzivotam is the word sava. I know in English, they, in English sometimes they translate it as by their hosts, but I don't know what hosts are. But for me, Sava means an army. And Tifkadu reminds me of the word Lifkod or a Mufaked, an officer in the army. Um, that is the atmosphere of the chapter in, in its entirety. 
it says every single chapter, Livnei Shimon, right? It says, Miben Eshrim Shana Vamala, Kol Yotei Tzava, Pekutehem Lematei Shimon, Tisha V'chamishim Anif Ushloshmiot, and uh, we talk about in the next chapter, in chapter 2, Degel Machane Uvein, each uh, Machane, it's called a Machane, Machane is a war camp, each Utzva'ot Fukudehem, the army and all of its uh, soldiers, they enumerate different divisions and give them their marching orders and everyone has a flag for their particular unit and it would seem to be very, very military. Um, the Ibn Ezra concurs with the Rashbam. Um, he says very explicitly, um, This is in order to create the flags. We want to know how they are all going to encamp around the Mikdash and uh, because they're going to have to travel. In other words, why are we organizing everybody into units? Why is everything happening here? It is quite deliberately uh, in order to organize the camp for travel and even more specifically in order to capture the land. Here we have a totally different focus of Sefer Bamidbar and... Uh, it is quite something when we think about Sefer Bamidbar in this context. What I mean is this. Bamidbar is a book which at its outset, at its very beginning, already has a very, very direct mission, a very direct target, and that is the journey to Eretz Yisrael. One can argue that that is entirely the framework of the book. Let me try and explain. The book begins with the travel plan, or with the marching orders um, for the nation. And in fact, they set up their camp. And it takes a while to set everything up and to make sure it happens, but by chapter 10, we are already on the march. However, what happens to this uh, journey to Eretz Yisrael? Well, we all know that eventually, trouble after trouble, we hear about Kibrot Tava and other troubles, but it all comes to a uh, horrible end, with the episode of the Maraglim, the episode of the spies who were sent to Eretz Yisrael, who come back with a bad report. And this essentially aborts the mission of the second year of the Midbar, the mission from Sinai to Eretz Yisrael. We've had hiccups before. The Egel was a hiccup, and it set us back a number of months. But uh, we got back on track, and we're going towards Eretz Yisrael, and everything is set. However, now... Now, on this journey, this journey actually goes horribly wrong with the Maraglim. So, what happens to the original mission of going to Eretz Yisrael? Here, something quite fascinating happens. And I'm going to refer to a comment of the Ibn Ezra, uh, much later on in Chumash Pamidbar. It's actually to be found in chapter 20 of the Sefer. Um, in chapter 20... Uh, we see a pointer or a certain date. It says there, um, Israel, all the community come to Midbasin in the first month, and that's when Miriam dies. What follows Miriam's death is actually the sin of Moshe, which eventually leads to his death. In the same chapter, we hear about Aaron's death, and we wonder, where are we in time? When exactly in the Midbar did Miriam die, it says in the first month, but of which year? Here the Ibn Ezra says something quite amazing. And he says like this. He says, 
Vishnata Abaim. In the fortieth year, in the fortieth year Miriam died. Vihine Ain Batarakalau Shumma Afe on Vua Rak Bashanaharishona Uvishnata Arbaim. In the Torah there is no description or action, there is no prophecy, only in the first year and in the fortieth year. Now I think the Ibn Ezra doesn't, is not being totally accurate here when he says the first year because obviously Bamidbar opens in the second year of the Midbar. We open our book already in uh, ER of the second year and we describe the events of Nisan, ER, Sivan, Talmud of, of the second year of the Midbar. But essentially I think that what uh, Ibn Ezra is doing is directing our attention to the fact that there are actually 37 years in the middle which are not described. Or maybe let me put, put it a different way. Sefer Bamidbar actually split, splits quite uh, amazingly into two sections. Parashat Bamidbar, Naso, Balotcha, Shalachacha, and Korach all fit into the second year of the Midbar, or should I say, the first mission to Eretz Israel, the failed mission, the aborted mission, the mission which went awry, it went wrong. That is the story that is described. We originally start by counting the people, then we travel off, and then it all comes to a, a failed end. However, in the second section, we see that things have picked up. Already in Parshat Chukat, uh, we see that we are now already in the 40th year. And indeed, the, gen- the leaders of the generation, uh, the previous generation, begin to die out. And we're set on a new course. Um, we're going to tr- make another try. A new generation is going to try to enter the land and set their destiny there. This gives us a new definition of Parshat Bamidbar, where Bamidbar is about two missions to Eretz Yisrael. It describes, it's not a flowing story which gives full live coverage of the events of the Midbar as they happen throughout the years. Parshat Bamidbar is essentially two stories. The story of the second year and the story of the fortieth year. The story of the failed mission and the story of the mission which hopefully will succeed. And that is described, and maybe within that second half we have Parshat Balak, where even a non-Jewish prophet is forced to praise B'nai Israel and show how wonderful they are. And indeed there, there is a different count in Parshat Pinchas. And that count is a count of B'nai Israel. Chazal described it as a, as, as a um, census of the people in order to ensure successful settlement in the land. Um, one can dwell on the fact that the first... Uh, account seems to be more military and the second one may be related more to family and settlements but I'm not going to dwell on that right now my point is that we essentially when we look at it from this perspective we do understand when we analyze Sefer Bamidbar not geographically but historically that we have two discrete stories two discrete sections and that Sefer Bamidbar is not a story about, about wandering it's a story it's actually two stories the failed mission and the mission which we plan, which God plans, should be a success. However, this is only one perspective on Sefer Balibar. Um, and I'd like to enter into a, a second one, and a second perspective on counting. Let's go back to the opening Psukim of the Parsha. The Parsha begins um, with the following words. Now, 
כל זכר לגוגל אותם. מבין עשרים שנה ומעלה, כל יוצאי צבא בישראל תפקדו אותם לצוותם עתה ואהרון. אם אתה מבין את הטנשן לפסוק ב' ופסוק ג', one can sense a great dissonance between the two פסוקים. פסוק ג' fits very much with the explanation we gave of the רשב"ם. מי בן עשרים שנה ומעלה, כל יוצאי צבא, from 20 years old, whoever goes to the army, תפקדו אותם, that word מפקד, לציב אותם, the word צבא, אתר ואהרון. But how about the first פסוק? שאו את ראש כל הדת בני ישראל. lift up the head of every one of the community of B'nai Israel, Lemishpachotam, their families, Lebetavotam, their father's house, Vemispar Shemot, don't count their number just by number, count them by name, Kol Zachar, every man, Legugolotam. What is going on here? What is this count? What is this Pasuk, which seems to talk about family, etc.? Uh, what, is it all, what, what is it there for? Here I'm going to turn to the parish of the Ramban. I mean, Rashi already maybe uh, makes a point on the first passage which leads us in a certain direction when he says, That here, this counting is somehow an expression of love. But what exactly does that mean? The Ramban elaborates a little bit. And he says the following. You can find his comments on uh, Pasuk Memhe. And he says the following. Here we go. אמר לו הקדוש ברוך הוא, God said to Moshe, למנותם בכבוד ובגדולה, to count them with respect and with greatness, לכל אחד ואחד, for every single person. לא תהיה אומר לראש המשפחה, כמה במשפחתך, he shouldn't just say to the head of a family, how many are in your family? כמה בנים יש לך? how many children do you have? אלא, כולהון יהון עוברים לפניך, באימה ובכבוד, ואתה מונה אותם. Each one should pass before you with fear, with honor, and you count them. This is what it's talking about, etc., etc. And he adds, Somehow there's a notion of great honor and respect to B'nai Israel, which is being expressed here. Lift up the heads of B'nai Israel. How exactly does this count do that? What exactly is it? And here I'm going to refer to the opening comments, which are a little bewildering, of the Ramban. Maybe I'll explain why they're bewildering, but I'm going to read a few lines from there. The Ramban says the following. He says, After we have described the Korbanot in the third book of Ayikra, the Torah now begins, I'm sort of translating, uh, I'll flip backwards and forwards between the English and Hebrew. We're now going to talk about certain mitzvot of the Ohomoed. He says, the Torah has already told us about the Migdash and all of, the, all of its sanctity. And now, what is God going to do here in Sefer Bamidbar? He's going to take the Mishkan. And he says, Yagbil et ha-Mishkan bamidbar Essentially, the Ramban has already come up with a philosophy that the Mishkan in the midst of Bnei Israel is almost like Am Yisrael surrounding Har Sinai. Har Sinai was the place the Torah was given. The Mikdash, or the Mishkan, is the place where God's presence is manifest, and God continues giving mitzvot to Bnei Yisrael, continues to communicate to Bnei Yisrael. He says, what is the purpose of Sefer Bamidbar? 
It is that we should understand that we surround the Mishkan like we surrounded Har Sinai. He says more than that. Just like on Har Sinai, anybody who ascended the mount would be killed. Likewise, and it says in Al Pasuk at the end of chapter one, Hazar Hakarev Yumat. If you come too close to the Migdash, you will die. Um, and he says, just like it says, we should be very careful to guard the Mig- the Migdash. It also says here that the Kohanim's role is to make sure that uh, they guard the Mishkan just like they had to guard Har Sinai if you look back to Shemot chapter 19. And he says, So therefore God commanded how they should guard the Mishkan and all its vessels and how they should encamp around it and how they should be at a distance. And he says, In other words, what's all this about? Sefer Ben is essentially about the way that Ben Israel surround the Mishkan. I have to say here that there is something very puzzling about this um, explanation. And I'll tell you why I'm puzzled by it. I'm puzzled by it because um, the whole book of Bamidbar doesn't deal with the Migdash and it doesn't deal with the camp. It doesn't deal with B'nai Israel just surrounding the, the, um, the sanctuary. Uh, it deals with the rebellions. In fact, Sefer Bamidbar is a, is a fascinating book from the perspective of the nation. Uh, we have the rebellion of Korach. We have the drama of Miriam talking uh, against Moshe. We have Kivota Ta'ava, a, a riot for meat. And we have the drama of the Miraglim. Uh, so many things happen here. We have Baal Pa'or. We have the um, personality of Pinchas. It is very difficult to say that this uh, book is simply about the Midash. In terms of the Halakha that we have in this book, we have the laws of Chala, the laws of Tzitzit, we have uh, many, many different areas of Halakha, um, Sota, Nazir, Berchat Kohanim, and not all of them are necessarily related to uh, the Migdash. So what exactly are we going to do with the Ramban's explanation? I would like to suggest that actually if we look at the Sefer, uh, what the Ramban is saying is, is definitely true about the beginning of Sefer Bamidbar, and here I'm actually going to cover um, Parashat Bamidbar and Nassau in my analysis. This would be an opportune time to say something about the style of Sefer Bamidbar. Um, some books are very, very narrative in style. They tell stories. Um, and a good example of that would be Bereshit, which essentially is stories with very, very little halacha. Some books are um, almost exclusively halachic. An example of that would be Vaikra, where we have virtually no story, and we have uh, legal parsha after legal parsha. Some books are sort of divided, um, where Sefer Shemot, uh, the first half is mainly story, and the second half is mainly uh, halachic parshiot. However, Bamidbar has a very, very unique style. Bamidbar will tell us a story, and then it will follow it with a series of staccato style, one after the other, of, uh, of different legal, legal passages, and then back to another story, and then back to a series of legal passages. I would like to suggest that uh, Bamidbar, Parashat Bamidbar and Parashat Nasrod do exactly this. And here I'm going to try and sketch out uh, what these chapters deal with. A quick summary. Chapter 1 and 2 of Sefer Bamidbar deal with the camp. First we count the people in chapter 1, and in chapter 2 we put the people around the camp. That's the first stage. 
second stage is chapter 3 and 4. In chapter 3 and 4 we actually enumerate the Kohanim, the Levim. We count them. And then we give the different families of the Levim. Gershon, Kahat, Mari, we give them their jobs. Some have to carry the holy vessels. Some have to carry the boards. Some have to carry the coverings. But everybody has a job. So, chapter 1 and 2 counts the people and puts them into their position in the camp. Chapter 3 and 4 counts the Levium and tells you where they should camp and what they should work at. So, essentially, chapter 1 to 4 sets up the camp. However, after this, we have a whole series of different laws. The first law deals with um, who should be sent out of the camp. Who doesn't belong in the camp? It tells us in... Uh, over there, that uh, some people, the Shalchum and Amachadeh, called Sarua, the Cholzah, the Choltamein and Nefesh. Impure people don't belong in the camp. The next parsha deals with the case of a Ger, somebody who has no relatives at all. He is a convert. He doesn't have another Jew who's related to him. And then after his death, what happens to property which is owed to him? It's interesting because the property of this person with no relative actually goes to the Kohanim. Okay, that's the second law. The third law there, if we're looking through the Parsha, deals with Sota. And once again, Sota is a Parsha, I'm not going to get into the laws, but uh, the woman accused of adultery. But where does she go to solve her problems? Does she go to a marriage counsellor? No. Shidafka goes to the temple, she goes to the Mishkan, and she sorts it out there in the sanctuary, under the auspices of the Kohanim. Following that law is the parasha of the Nazir. The Nazir, the Nazarite, who wants to secede from society, not allowing himself to become impure, and uh, growing his hair long, um, looking very different from other people, not engaging in their festivities, he can't drink wine together with people, etc., etc. And... The series of halachot, actually five halachot, once again, sending the impure away from the camp, that's number one. Number two, the law of a ger, whose property um, goes to the Kohen. The third law is the adulterous woman, the sota, uh, which is sold by the Kohen. Then the nazir, the nazirite, and the last one is birchat kohanim. And this is followed by chapter uh, seven, which deals with the dedication of the mishkan. What I would like to claim is that the Ramban's um, thesis is definitely correct about the first unit of Parshat Balibara. Let me try and explain. The beginning of Sefer Balibara transcribes a unique camp. First we set up the nation. And the important thing about the nation is that the nation is Mineged Saviv L'Ohel Mo'ed this is not just a nation which is going to march. Every family counts, but most importantly, they are encamped around a hub. They are encamped around a very, very special place. That special place is the Mishkan, and the Mishkan gives everybody their reason to exist. It gives everybody their motives. It gives everybody their, their God. Hashem is, what did God say when he set up the Mishkan? So what we do in chapter 1 and 2, we set up a camp which is perfectly positioned all around the Mishkan. We then 
put in place the Levim and Kohanim and where they should be in their positions. And now we have a beautifully ordered camp. And we spend the next section actually telling us, okay, well, hold on. What is the interaction between those three stratas? The Mishkan itself, the Machaneh Shechina, then the Machaneh Leviyah, the Leviyim around the Mishkan, and the Machaneh Israel. What's the relationship between all these things? The first halacha says, certain people don't belong. They have to be ejected. They, they're tamay, they, they're impure, they can't stay in the camp. Next, what happens if there is a Jew, a convert, who doesn't have a place in the camp? What is he going to do? Who is going to be his friend? Who is going to be his um, connection, his protexia? Answer, anybody who is just a Jew, a regular, commoner Jew, a convert, who will protect him? Who will be his relative if he doesn't have one? The Kohen. The Kohen will be his relative. Even though he seems to be in a prestigious place in the center of the camp, he will um, have, a, have a recourse. He will have somebody who he can rely on, and that is the Kohen. The next Pasha tells us once again, when there's a problem in the camp, who helps us out? The Kohen. If there's a case of somebody who suspects his wife of adultery, the Kohen can help solve the case. There are even cases when a regular Jew feels this attraction to Kedusha so strongly that he wants to secede from society. You know what he becomes? He becomes a Nazir. Again, that would be a case where somebody from the periphery, somebody from the regular normal camp, wants to go into the center. He, he, he isn't born a Kohen, he isn't born a priest, but what we're being told is that everybody has that opportunity to get close to the sanctity. And the last halachic section is Birchat Kohanim the blessing of the Kohanim where the Kohanim become the conduit for God's uh, blessing to the nation and what follows this is the dedication of the temple what I've tried to describe and maybe this is exactly the opening comments of the Ramban that indeed Sefer Bar opens its whole first eight or nine chapters is actually a description of a wonderful camp a functional nation um, encampment with God as, God as its centre God is at the focal point the epicentre of the camp everyone is camped around it It gives the Mishkan gives the Jewish people their meaning and yet what is being described here in this beautiful thing is the interesting interactions interesting connections between the different levels of the camp this takes us away from the functional description of the Rosh and Ibn Ezra. And it puts us into a different frame of mind. What the Ramban is saying is that far from us simply marching as a regular secular nation to Israel, what we're really meant to be doing is not only looking forward but looking backwards. Are we looking forward to Eretz Israel? But the danger is that what our past we will forget to take with us. Because after all, according to the Ramban, what we're really intending on doing is taking Hasinai, taking the sense of Shekhinah, of God's intense presence, taking his Torah along with us. And what the Ramban is saying, and maybe this throws out the challenge to the entire Sefer, can we retain that focus? Can B'nai Israel retain the focus of this orderly camp where we have in the hub, in the middle, the Mishkan and the people organized around with the intermediaries of the Kohanim and the in between and the interesting interrelationships between them. 
That is the challenge, I think, that the Ramban is already expressing at the beginning of the Sefer. We are not simply describing a secular nation. We are describing a Mamlechet Kohanim V'goy Kadosh. And obviously what we are trying to do is to transplant that experience, that experience of Har Sinai, that Kedusha of Har Sinai, that notion of being a nation, but yet a holy nation, can we transplant it to Eretz Yisrael, to the next stage? Can we take our Mishkan with us, with us um, and build a unique society? And that is indeed the challenge that we face at the beginning of Sefer Bamidbar. In our coming Shirim, we will discuss how we do in this very exciting drama. Have a good week and Shabbat Shalom.